All right, good morning, church, and good morning to all those online. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, if you guys could open it up to Philippians chapter 3, where we're going to be living at this morning. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Brad Janiszewski. Uh Don't worry, we'll make you spell that. It's crazy long, it's Polish, it's okay. Um, but I am the student director here, and so if you ever happen to hear any craziness or just giggling or just random laughing or just, just insanity happening, whether it be out in the atrium, up in the loft, I probably have a great part to play with that. Um, <laughs> but guys, really excited to be with you guys this morning. And I thought today we would start off with a very, I think, important, but a very simple question. And the question is, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth all of the time we spend? Is he worth coming here on Sundays? Is he worth building a building like this? Is he worth our tithes and offerings? Is following Jesus worth it? And I think there is a temptation that we have to answer this question, I think, purely from a cognitive way. But I want to be careful about going that way, because while I would hope that, whether it be through logic or just through thought processes, that you'd say, yes, he, of course he is worth it, I want to ask you more from a personal standpoint today, in your life today, is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? Even if that means I have to suffer, even if that means maybe my dreams don't come true, at the end of the day, can you stand in front of God and say, you know what, Jesus, you were worth it. So give you guys a little framework about where we're going today. We're going to start off kind of talking about the weaknesses of human effort. And then following that, we're going to go, I think, to a temptation that we all struggle with, the temptation of self-reliance and the temptation to say, I can do it. And then lastly, we're going to end on the sacrifice of self. So for those of you guys who have been with us here for the past several weeks, we've been going through the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul, somebody who wrote nearly half of the New Testament. And today we are jumping a little bit ahead in his life to the book of Philippians. Now, Philippians is one of my favorite books. It's actually written near the end of Paul's life. And the cool thing about Philippians is when you read it, you can just... You can just feel the love and the hope that he has for the people of Philippi. And, but the interesting thing about that, and it's ironic, is this almost stands juxtaposed to Paul's real-life circumstances at the time. You see, Philippians, along with Galatians, Ephesians, and Philemon, are known as the prison epistles. And so while Paul is writing this amazing message of hope and joy and thanksgiving, he's literally in prison. And he actually says it earlier in Philippians that he's in shackles. And so this is the context at which we're jumping into our passage today. And Paul is going to address this idea of human effort and really, in reality, how weak it is. So read with me, guys, starting in chapter 3, verse 2, and it says this. It says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. I want you guys to think about that last statement. To put no confidence in human effort. Zero. Paul says, I'm not going to do that. Think in our world today, it seems almost the very opposite, doesn't it? That we put all of our confidence in human effort. 
that we have these lists of things that we're saying, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to achieve, I'm going to win this goal, I'm going to be victorious, I'm going to be this person. And yet Paul says, no, I'm not going to do that. And I wonder, just in our lives in 2022 in Indianapolis area, if sometimes human effort is one of the biggest ailments in our spiritual lives. Because it's this idea that I can do it, that I can earn it. And it's very contrary to the very gospel we preach. But instead of saying, I'm going to have confidence in human effort, rather Paul says, I'm going to rely on Christ. That is where I'm going to put my confidence. Now, we're really excited. We have, obviously, the students down here, the middle schoolers. We have the kids. Um, Now, sometimes I think it's really easy to believe this, and I think especially as kids it's easy to believe this, that following God is just a list of do's and a list of don'ts. And if I do more of the do side, then that means that I'm closer to God and I'm more favored favored by God. I think it's very easy to fall into that trap. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, kids. God definitely has an expectation for your life. He definitely has a life that, that he wants you to live. But if your relationship with God isn't founded first and foremost with a relationship with Jesus and an apprenticeship under him, all we're doing is just things. And so following Jesus means, hey, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to listen to Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to change me to look more like the image of his son. So I'm going to follow Jesus. But I think it's way too easy in our world today to kind of do the opposite. Instead of relying on Jesus, we're going to rely on ourselves. And we're going to compare ourselves against one another. So this will not be any surprise to any of the students in the room. But I can be a little competitive. A little bit, yeah. I love sports. Growing up, I played soccer, basketball, baseball. I really wasn't good at baseball. But uh, I was very competitive. And actually, even in our, in our ministry up in middle school, we do like an, an annual semester competition where we play games and we they get points every single week. And so our fifth and sixth grade girls are actually the defending champions right now. And so oh, we got some whoops, whoops. All right. I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I love competitions. But even more than that, I love winning. All right? Yes, yes, I love winning. And I don't know, maybe it was being a middle kid. I, I have two uh, brothers, one older, one younger, and I have an older sister as well. So it might be a little middle kid syndrome going on here. But I always felt like I had to win. I had to be first. I had to prove myself. And, okay, I got to such a bad place. This is a true story. Um, it happened way more than just once is that I would create competitions in my head. I, do, I would actually do color commentary in my head about like mundane tasks, about how Brad would come from last place and he'd come and he'd, give, he'd get first place and he was victorious. It's very easy to win games when no one else knows you're in a competition. So <laughs> undefeated in those ones, it's great. Yeah. But while I would like to say that this competitive mindset that I had stayed within the ball field or the baseball diamond, it often became a lot more than that. It would go into my friendships, my relationships, and I went to like a small little Christian school, and it even became this place where I would judge people and be like, all right, who's actually following Jesus? Who isn't following Jesus? And I would create a line. By my own view of my own self-righteousness, I would create a line of who was in and who was out. And while I'd like to believe that we don't do this, of course, um, (laughs) or while I'd like to believe that it only happens when we're kids, I think 
more than likely, is something that is easy for us all to fall into, is this mentality of comparison. This self-righteous, line-in-the-sand, arbiter of rights and wrongs, giver and taker of God's grace. And I think at the end of the day, the, the truth of the matter is that it keeps, keeps people from Jesus. Because we say, hey, no, you need to pass this line. You need to be this type of person to come to Jesus. And this is the exact attitude, that type of mentality that Paul is addressing. So we're going to jump from, that, from the human effort idea to the temptation of self-reliance. And Paul goes into it in verses 4 through 6. And you see, Paul is addressing this group of people called the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers, they were this group of people who were following Jesus, but they said, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to keep all the Jewish laws, all the Jewish customs. You need to cross every T, dot every I, and if you don't do it, then you aren't favored by God. You aren't a Christian. And so they kept this strict law that only they, of course, being, once again, the, the arbiters of God's grace, could, could actually proceed in. They kept people away from Jesus. And so Paul's saying, no, 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 no. This is not what we are about. We put no effort. We put no confidence in human effort. No, rather, we rely solely on what Jesus is, is doing and what, who Jesus is. But Paul says, okay, I'll tell you what, Judaizers, you want to play this game? You want to play this game of ego? You want to play this game of comparison? I'm going to beat you at your very game and prove to you that it's worthless. And so you'll see in verses 4 through 6, he goes through these lists of qualifications. His resume, he says, okay, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. And this might not sound important to you guys, but what we have to understand is that Benjamin and Judah, they were the two remaining tribes that remained, uh, they remained loyal to the Davidic line when the kingdom of Israel split. After the, after the reign of King Solomon. And so he says, hey, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am 100% Jewish, which if you guys remember back in the Gospel of John, not being 100% Jewish was something that was often used as slander against the Samaritans. He's saying, hey, I have all of these accolades. Pastor Eric even said it last week. Paul doesn't say this in particular in this passage, but his very name before Paul was Saul, named after the first king of Israel. He has all of these accolades that he can point to. But he says, hey, even more than that, I have achievements. He goes, I was a Pharisee. They were pretty much the Judaizers of Judaism. He goes, we kept the T's. We, we dotted the I's. We were so strict in our interpretation of the law. And even more than that, I was so zealous and I was so passionate for my God that I even attacked Christians themselves because they were preaching a gospel of grace instead of a gospel of works. So he goes, okay, Judaizers, you want to play this game? How do you compare with me? You think you're better? You think you have more to show? You think you've put in more effort? I've put in way more. But I love what he says in verse 7. He says, I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. I thought they were valuable, but I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Accomplishments are awesome. Going after goals are awesome. But do we get, do we get to this place in our lives where we say, you know what? In comparison to Jesus, they're worthless. So I, I come out of this competitive mentality, and I get into high school. And I don't know if I literally had this exact thought, but I remember thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win at everything. I'm going to win at high school. It's also, it's a lot easier when there's only 12 kids in your class, and so 
Take that into consideration. There's not a lot of competition. But I remember going after all the goals. So I ended up being like salutatorian of my class. I ended up being captain on two different sports teams, the lead in the school musical. I remember doing all of these things and be like, yes, I made it. I accomplished. I won. I was victorious. But you want to know the sad thing? The sad thing is I graduate. I go off actually to my community college in my, my hometown up in Michigan. No one really cared anymore. I was like, hey, I was homecoming king. And they're like, we don't care. And I'm like, oh, okay. But I had based so much of who I was, so much of my personality, my value, on these tasks and on these things that didn't last. And students in particular, guys, I look at your guys' lives, I hear a lot, of, a lot of what you're doing, and sometimes I wonder, are we focusing on things that don't really matter? Are, are we working on things that aren't really going to stand the test of time? Because here's the truth of the matter, and I hate to break it to you, but you can't do everything. You can't. You can't do everything. So the question is, when you try to, what are you sacrificing? When you try to do a new thing, when you try to go after a new goal, which don't get me wrong, goals and achievements, they're important. But in the meantime, what are we sacrificing? Because guys, too often, I see you guys sacrifice your emotional, your psychological your spiritual well-being, as well as your faith on the backs of achievements that no one's going to care about in three years. Don't play the game. This is the exact idea that Paul is trying to get across to us, is we do not play this game of the world. This game of the world that says, go for it, earn it, win it. By comparison, be the best. And it even comes down into faith. I want you guys to think of different faiths where they say, hey, go out, earn God, be the best person you can be, grow. But that's the very opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, no, 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 you can't earn it. That's why Jesus came. He earned you. This is the God we serve because you're not going to make it. That is the God we serve. So Paul says, stop playing the game. In the great math problem of life, Jesus is the one that changes the equation, not us. So I get out of high school and I get into college. Like I said, I didn't know who I was anymore. Um, aimless and like, true story, I actually get to this point where I'm like really depressed. I'm like, what am I even doing anymore? And struggling. Uh, and I eventually, I, I get off to, to Moody. I got my associate's degree. I go off to Moody a Bible Institute in Chicago. And I remember first semester, getting close to the end of the semester, and I'm just talking with my buddy Juan in our, in our dorm. And I'm going through something. To be honest, I don't even remember exactly what it all was. But going through something deep, that just kind of broke me down. Because you see, I had gotten, once again, back in that mentality that said, okay, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove that I can be a pastor. I'm going to prove that I should be a pastor. And my buddy Juan, and I love him, uh, he said, Brad, where did we ever get this idea that we had to have it all together? It's very anti-gospel. Where did we ever get this idea? And it was in that moment that I think I had a new kind of understanding of the grace of God. That despite my inabilities, despite all the effort that I wanted to do, despite everything that I tried, all the, all the work that I put in, I couldn't earn God. But Jesus earned me. That that is the God we serve. 
And so Paul continues, and in verse 8, he says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. You know, we, we can live for a lot of things in this life. Fame, fortune, money, pride. But Paul gets to this place where he says, hey, you know what? I want to consider that all worthless when I think of, of my relationship with Jesus. And church, I hope we get to this place today that we can say, you know what? While these other things, yeah, it's good. They're good things to go after. They're not bad things, but I want to consider them worthless because I love Jesus so much. Verse 8, for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. He counts it all as garbage. Like that is how much he wants to be with Jesus in comparison to his own self-effort. In my translation, the NLT, it says discarded. You might have, if you have the NIV, it might, said, it might say lost all things. Either way, it all comes from the same Greek word that is called zemiaho. And what zemiaho is, is zemiaho talks about how it's a detriment, it's a harm, it's a pain to discard these things. It's a harm for me. It's a pain for me. And I'm sure for Paul to give up all these accolades, all this resume that he had built up over years upon years, it was difficult. But I think it would be false to say that for him, he would definitely say it was worth it. And I just wonder today, how are we doing with different things that, that we're holding on to, with our goals, with our dreams, with these different things? Are we holding them so tight, saying, yes, this is going to be mine? Or can we get to this place where you say, you know what, God, yes, I want these things. I want to go after these things, and they're good things. But God, I want your will done in my life. God, I want you more than these. Several years ago, I actually had a friend challenge me on this. I was 21, 22, um, and she comes up to me and she says, Brad, if you were single for the rest of your life, would God be enough? To be honest, I actually said no. Thankful I had the honesty to say no. Um, but I would hope seven, eight years later that I'd be able to get to this place and say, you know what? Well, it isn't my first choice. God, I, I trust you. And you're enough for me. Even if it means I have to sacrifice my dreams. Even if it means I might suffer, I might be discomfort or uncomfortable. I want to get to this place where I say, God, you're enough for me. No matter what condition I'm in, you're enough for me. And I think that's Paul's goal too. And he continues in verse 9 and he says this. He says, that I may gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Jesus is the prize Paul wants to go after. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul's chief aim is to know Christ, no matter what it costs. He wants to know him, even if it means he has to share in his death. And that isn't just a literal death, that's also meaning just his lifestyle of submitting to the will of the, of the Father. 
Because it's worth it. It's worth it for the sake of Christ. So I want to invite the band back up here. And while they're coming up here, I thought I would share with you guys in ending one of my favorite stories of one of my favorite heroes of the faith. So her name was Perpetua. Perpetua was a young woman of the town of Carthage around the turn of the third century. But the thing I love about Perpetua is that Perpetua, she had this amazing boldness and resilience for her faith. See, Perpetua was a 22-year-old young woman, just recently married, had just recently given birth to her first son. The sad thing is, she was imprisoned for her faith, and her very son and her very family were often used as things against her in order for her to recant and to give away her faith. And you see, Perpetua, she was a noble woman in her town. And while people went to the Colosseum, often Christians and non-Christians, it wasn't necessarily good politics to bring a noble woman of, of the city to the Colosseum. So they decide to give Perpetua a chance. So they, they bring her to the local deity, and they say, hey, just offer a sacrifice. That's all you have to do, and you're off the hook. But she goes, I can't. She goes, even for the very sake of your son? She goes, I can't. And then there are also, there are numerous times that you read about, she actually, she had a diary, and she, she, ta- she tells about these. She talks about how her father would come to her, and would pretty much beg her, say, hey, just give this thing up for the sake of, of me, for the sake of your aunt, for the sake of your sister, for the sake of your very son. Just give this up, please. You don't have to do this. Perpetua, like I said, she was so resilient and so bold that she goes, I, I, I can't. And it's in your notes, but there is a conversation that is written down between her and her father. That I think I'd like to end with for you guys. And it says this. In one of these occasions when her father came to her trying to beg her to give up her faith, she says, Father, let me give you an example. Do you see this vessel lying here, this little pitcher or whatever? He replied, yes, I see it. Could you call it by any other name than what it really is? He said, no. It's the same way with me. I can't be called anything other than what I am, a Christian. Perpetua eventually went to the Colosseum where she died, a martyr for her faith. But for Perpetua, Jesus was absolutely worth it. And for Paul, I think it's pretty easy to say Jesus was absolutely worth it. The question remains for us, is he worth it to you? All right, let's pray here, guys. God, I love the heart of Paul where he says, I just want to know God. This is a man who wrote nearly half of the New Testament that he's getting to the end of his life and he's still still saying, I want to know God. I want to know him more. God, I pray that would be the story of all of our lives that we get to this place where we say, God, I want to know you. No matter what it costs. God, I want to know you because God, you're worth it. Your gospel is worth it. Having a relationship with you is worth it. God, you're my father, you're my savior, you're my friend, you're my Lord. May I put nothing else in front of you. 
your name, amen.